What's up, everybody? It is Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com, here to host with my pal... Adam Sims uh, from the Back Patio Network. Another beautiful week, man. It's been, uh, it's been a fun two episodes. It has. And they were... I had to do... Uh, I had to work really hard at not reading the internet explosion, particularly about episode 76. Um, because like I've said before, I tend to watch these episodes like back to back a day or so before recording. And the internet was talking a ton about episode 76. And it's hard not to. After having seen it now, like I wanted to talk about it too. Definitely. Yeah, me too. It was really hard to keep away from spoilers, especially I think I've mentioned this on air before, but like Android phones, if you swipe to the right, I guess. So it's uh, like the very most left hand screen. It's like this Google page of news and it's tailored toward things that you look at. And mine is always like my hero academia spoilers. So I've had to like turn that feature off because I keep seeing things I shouldn't. Yeah, I just I get stuff on Facebook um, and I'm, I'm good about staying off of our Twitter account throughout the week unless I get like a notification and then I'll interact. But, um, we, you know, we follow a couple of my hero adjacent uh, accounts there and obviously they were sharing stuff. And so uh, but I, it's you, you can't blame them. I'm not I'm not trying to shame anybody because episode 76 is definitely worth talking about. So how about we uh, let's let's just jump right into it. Let's yeah, let's, let's sure. keep the, we'll keep the lead short this week and we'll just get right into episode 76. So it was called Infinite 100 percent. And we, we were told that that was what the title of this episode was going to be at the end of um, our, our last pair of episodes. And when I read it, I. I got to tell you, like, my gut reaction towards it was not good. Like, I, I, it didn't go the way that I thought it would. It turned out much better. Um, but I also felt like it was just going to be like this just inexplicable power up for Deku out of nowhere again. Um, and maybe not again is a strong, a strong word, I guess. But I was worried that it was just going to be like a MacGuffin power up. You know what I mean? And it kind of was, really. I mean... It was a. It was more like a Deus Ex, right? Like all of a sudden, at the last second, he's get this power up that's going to solve the situation, and then it's going to go away. Yeah, but his. So the the one for all has been kind of powering up, um, it, intermittently, and we've been along for that ride from like five percent to eight percent. You know, when he got sure, really sure. pissed at Bakugo or whatever, and then so, and then there was the one time where he, uh, when he was fighting, uh, shoot, what was that guy's name? Not Blood. Um, muscular, muscular, yeah. <laughs> where he said that it was like a thousand percent, but I think we both agreed that that was hyperbolic. Um, oh yeah, he was just trying to like pump himself up for that situation. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um. So I thought that when I saw this title, I was like, uh, he's just gonna have this inexplicable, you know, jump in power. Um, and it kind of is that, but that it also they also did a good job of making sense of it. Um, and so the way that he was able to achieve infinite 100% makes a ton of sense. And that's what lets it fly with me as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just fun. So I didn't really care, but I thought the title was kind of like, it was too revealing in a way because you get that title and you're like, okay, we're going to expect Deku to power up hundred percent and that's what we're going to get, you know? And I, I don't know. I wanted a little bit more mystery than that, I guess. The infinite part was curious to me initially. I just thought it was again like hyperbolic, but uh, I mean, it, and it it wasn't. I mean, with with Ares' power, as as we are going to discuss here in just a second, it it could it could have been infinite, except for the fact that her power continued to grow, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. So let's just talk about the beginning of episode seventy six. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's start let's there. <laughs> rewind just a little bit. We're going to rewind just a little bit. Yeah, here. let's. We're going to use Ares' quirk and go back. 
beginning of episode 76. Exactly, exactly. So episode 76 starts off with uh, the girls. You, they're back, man. You were talking last week about how you couldn't wait to uh, see some of the My Hero girls again. And we start this episode off right with Sue and Achako, or I guess Froppy and Uravity in this situation. Uh, and they're with their, I don't think she's really their mentor, uh, I guess. Well, maybe, I, I guess she is, because they're interning with Hato, who is under the mentorship of Ryukyu, right? Right. And they are fighting off uh, Katsukami, who was the Bane-like bullet that we had talked about. Uh, so he looks like he's all jacked up on some sort of like poison or something. And he kind of is. Uh, we find out that his quirk is actually the ability to like suck the life out of people when he's touching them, and he uses that to power himself up. But with the quirk-enhancing drug that he's on, he's able to do it without touching them. So all of the people around him all of a sudden are very fatigued. Uh, their vitality is getting sucked away, is how I think Ryukyu explains it. So she turns into the dragon and takes him out. It's pretty cool, though. I mean, they team up together. They they get this like bit of energy, and Sue is able to hold on to him while uh, Uravity is able to make him float. And then the dragon swoops down and provides the wings, and they like f- you know throw him into the air, and he like glides away. It was kind of cool. Yeah, I I kind of struggled a little bit with the way that the the quirk enhancing drug affected him because the only other times that we've seen this it's in it's made the quirk itself exaggerated but not hasn't affected the way that the quirk works and his changed the way that it works because it states that he has to touch them and then he can breathe in their life force and then now all of a sudden he doesn't even have to touch them so it affected the how or the mechanism of the quirk and I thought that was kind of strange but it was still cool I mean it made for a really neat scene um, like you were describing the 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 three ladies, four ladies rather, team up together and they whip the Katsuki, uh, Katsukame guy down onto this spot because uh, a Midoriya person shows up and it's like, hey, the villains are right over here. We need your help. And that's when they go into this like crazy awesome uh, combo move and slam oh, him Hata down. was there too, wasn't she? She yeah. was like it, part of that combo. Yeah, because she's like lighting him up with her. We find out that her ability is to convert energy into like shootable shockwaves. They're really slow, but they'll get to you eventually. Yeah, so when so Ochako makes him float and then Sue tongue whips him down and like the dragon Ryukyu is kind of riding him down and then uh Hado blasts it's her it's the force of her power that kind of propels him back down to the ground. Um and I'm guessing Ochako kind of turns her quirk off too. Um, Probably to help with that, yeah. Yeah, but they they slam down through the ground and this is kind of that was the big cliffhanger at the end of the last uh, pair of episodes as well and they're in the room where uh, Midoriya is squaring off against Chisaki and Night Eye's got this giant like stalactite um, sticking out through his belly and Mirio's off passed out in the hallway somewhere. They, they, they come into the scene that we spent the last two episodes in, really. But there's Deku's down there and that confuses Ochako. Yeah, she's like, hold on a second. If you're down there, then who was up there? And we get this kind of like rewind back up to the top and we see the League of Villains and it's uh, Toga and she's like shedding her Deku skin. It's weird. She's got like half of it pulled off her face and she's with Twice and Compress and they kind of like, they kind of break down their plan that, you know, they took a copy of Compress to help get them out of the situation. And then they turned into Deku to get the heroes to where the villains were going to be. And now they're going to get down there and try to steal the girl. So they're going to try and steal Eerie, I guess, in the midst of all of this chaos that's going on down there between Midoriya and uh, Overhaul. Yeah. And they, um, they, I mean, there's a little bit of discussion between them. Um, and it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, and we've seen that Twice's clones can kind of use 
the quirk of whoever it is that he has cloned before, because we saw Dobby like use the fire against Aizawa and all that. Right. They used the clone of Compress, the little marbles that he uses to kind of uh, dig their way out one sphere at a time, um, which was I thought was a pretty neat application of his power that I hadn't really thought about. And then, of course, one of those spears with the giant piece of uh, concrete or rock or whatever, and it shows back up uh, later in the next episode. Yeah, yeah, it's a it was a really neat way to use his power that I guess I hadn't really considered as well. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, it's also funny too, where they, because they know that this is the clone, they're like, "All right, you go down in there with uh, you know all the bad guys and good guys, and go and try to grab that girl." And there's an argument about like that he should be the one to do it because he is a clone and his life just isn't valuable and all this kind of yeah. stuff. It was, it was it, a funny. Funny little exchange before they just push him down the hole. Yeah, because Mr. Compress is like, hey, man, I'm not going down there. I already lost one arm to that guy. They're like, yeah, well, you won't remember it. <laughs> they just shove him down into the basement. <laughs> yeah, he, he gets uh, pinned at some point up under one of Ryukyu's claws and uh, turns, turns back into bug. goo. Yeah, it was good. I like that scene. So while Deku is fighting off against Chisaki, we get a buttload of exposition here. Uh, and it, it takes place kind of over time. I mean, it's really throughout the rest of the episode. But I think in the format we discussed this, it's probably easiest to just talk about what's happening. Uh, so we get this backstory on Eerie and who she is and, and kind of where her quirk came from. So we, know we, so we knew that she was the granddaughter of like the main Yakuza boss. Uh, and we find out that whenever she was little... You know, her mother abandoned her and said that she was cursed and her father had like gone to touch her or something like that and just disappeared. So the boss man gives her over to Chisaki and is like, hey, figure out what her quirk is. It seems like it might be similar to yours. Uh, so maybe help her figure out how to use it. And we just get this awfully sad background about how, you know, he pretty much just experimented on her for years and years. And he is able to realize that her quirk is the ability to rewind things. And so I think at one point he makes a mention of like, if you were to let her touch someone long enough, you may even get a monkey out of them. He, she could rewind them back so far. Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me. But um, I think I mean, he was like the evolution, I guess. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, was kind of silly because he already knows that. If she touches someone long enough, they just disappear. Yeah, that's that's the part where I was like, all right, the monkey thing doesn't make any sense given how it's been depicted. Like, it it, it like takes you back to bef- prior to your existence, I guess, which is what yeah. they think happened to the Her dad. Father, I guess, yeah, yeah. And I guess the other thing that they were saying that was kind of interesting was that this was not a combination quirk between her mother and father, that this was a mutation, and that that's incredibly rare that a child has a quirk that has nothing to do with the mother and father. Yeah, but I liked, I really liked that wrinkle. I mean, mutation is uh, something that is a part of our world, and uh, it's neat to see it kind of introduced to, not that it had to be a part of that world because it's a part of ours, but um, seeing it introduced into this world and causing a bit of a shakeup um, was kind of a neat element to the story. I thought so too. Yeah. Um, I mean, it also kind of makes a little bit more sense why it's maybe as powerful as it is because a lot of these quirks are pretty powerful, but hers is something different. Uh, and, and it's really sad that she hasn't learned how to control it. I mean, she's still just a kid, so there's plenty of time, I guess, but it's sad that she's been in the upbringing that she has to where she thinks that it's only a, a curse. Well, yeah, because the Hasaikai, and specifically Chisaki, has controlled the language around that. I mean, there's, right. a, there's a point coming up in the next episode, I think, where Midoriya flips that language, and it was, it was revelatory because it had, that language had been controlled to such a degree um, 
that that it it was all that she knew. It was it was very much like propaganda um, from Chisaki, and it it um, enabled him to have a higher degree of control over her, especially as a young and impressionable kid. Yeah, um, for sure. And we've we've seen some of it, especially in the last couple episodes. You know that that language that he was using in uh, one of the last pairs of episodes where he was like, everything that you do leads to somebody dying and you don't really want that to happen to these people. That's part of that very controlling language. Um, so he's been manipulating her psychologically, whether or not he's done so like intentionally might be up for debate, but um, he, that, that is what has, has gone on. And, and you see um, that, that revelation, like I said, happen when, Midoriya uses the opposite terminology to describe what her power is and and what she is. I think he even applies it to her, not specifically to her quirk, um, which is even a greater flipping of the narrative um, that takes place a little bit later on. Yeah, and there's really, I think the way that her quirk works is kind of up for debate. In fact, that was something I was going to bring up uh, here in just a little bit. So let's just talk more about the battle for now and then when it's more relevant i'm going to bring it up because i i have a few questions on how i think her quirk may work and why it may have affected night eyes quirk the way that it did uh or maybe it wasn't her directly so we'll talk about that here in just a minute so back into the fight uh we've got midoriya and chisaki just facing off with each other and we really get to see Eerie's quirk implemented quite a bit in this fight and i thought it was really cool how they do it because it's kind of being explained over the fight but we know that Chisaki had just fused himself with another bullet earlier whenever he was fighting Mirio and then in Deku. And she actually is able to like use her quirk when she touches him and it like splits that other person back out of his body. And then she's able to get away. And she does it again later at the very end of the fight. So I thought that was just really cool to see her like doing things like that in the background. Like I had to, I actually watched these episodes twice and I didn't realize that that's what was happening until the second time I watched them. Yeah, and the manga does a really good job using caption boxes to kind of like walk you through some of her own thought process that kind of has to go, it goes unnarrated, if I recall correctly, like it wasn't part of the their narration or the exposition inside of the actual episode that was um, an extra element to the manga where it talks about her awakening and, and how she came to view herself and uh, and then what caused this this spark of um, of renewed maybe anticipation or expectation, and it's and it's kind of sparked by the the visual of Mirio's cape flying through the air and his words about you know capes are for wrapping up you know um, you know girls that are in need of saving or who are in pain and uh, the the manga has some extra content around that that is really worth reading if if you can get your hands on a volume. Yeah, that's cool. That sounds like something that I, I wish that they had narrated that a little bit more because, I mean, throughout the episode, really, Eerie is just talking about how, like, she doesn't understand why these people won't stop and she doesn't want any of this. You know, she's like, I, I really don't want these people to try and save me. More people are just going to get hurt. So that's really all you get. And you do see that cape falling throughout the sky, uh, which I don't know. I still think it's creepy. I just wonder if she knew that it was made out of Mirio hair, if she would like cling to it the way she does. <laughs> I don't think um, Overhaul knew either because there was a moment earlier in the episode than where we're at currently that that he's like, oh, that got flung up too. That's disgusting. And I just have in my notes, if only he knew what it was made of, then he would really be disgusted. Yeah, he definitely would be because he seems like the kind of guy that just would be skeeved out by that. Yeah, I also thought that they had a really weird music choice for this particular part of the so episode. Too. Yeah, it was very like 
I don't know. It was strange to me. It felt out of place. And I get that they were going for like an emotional thing, but I thought that the emotions were conveyed perfectly fine with the visuals and the exposition that the music choice just felt. It felt out of place. It was kind of K-poppy for the like scene. Yeah, it was it was just odd. I just had weird music choices align in my notes. And yeah. I remember just being like, man, I don't care for that. Um, but we we get back, the, the scene kind of switches from a focus on Aerie's uh, perception of Mirio to now her experience of Midoriya, who's verbalizing that, you know, he's never going to let her go because Jusaki's like, you got to give her back. And he's like, man, I'm not doing that. I'm not letting go of this person again. And so now we're, we're getting to see the, the second person of the duo who had to let go of her the one time earlier um fighting real hard to maintain a, a, gr- a grip on her um against chisaki and one obviously had arguably more success than the other um but it was no less impactful right mirio's um efforts on Ares' behalf um should not in and are not in my opinion at all diminished um by what it is that midori is able to affect here um, but it's just cool that he's he's continuing to use that language um, that you know was part of uh, even the adult pro heroes' understandings of their unique experiences with regards to this mission um, carried forward. Yeah, it was really neat, uh, and the fact that he's able to keep up with what's going on because he's like floating in midair, like he's almost just falling with eerie. And Chisaki's throwing rocks at him and like forming all these formations around him. And he's trying to dodge in and out of them. So he's powering up to do this. It was just pretty cool visual overall. I really, really like this fight scene. We get this really cool visual where Deku powers up 100% like we're talking about. He doesn't quite know he's done it yet, I don't think. And he like kicks off a rock. And when he does, all of the ones around him smash down. And he finally gets that like airflow look that all might always had that we used to talk about like the wind around him and everything and it shoots him skywards and it shoots everyone else down below and so chisaki hits the ground and he's covered in rubble and he stands up his arms all messed up so he like heals himself real quick and then he touches katsukami and fuses with him and then goes right back up to the top to fight uh by the end of this fight he's fused himself with so many different things like he's transformed five or six times uh, I've, I made the mention to Adkins earlier that he is literally like a Final Fantasy or a Kingdom Hearts boss. Like you kill him once, he comes back a couple minutes later after a big cutscene, and he looks all changed and transformed. And then you do it five or six more times before he's actually going to be dead. Right. And Midoriya is kind of in this moment while Chisaki is kind of going through this next evolution of his, Midoriya is realizing what happened with this kick. He even like ties it back to like you were saying, one of All Might's moves, the New Hampshire Smash, I think was a move uh-huh. that he used against um, Bakugo and Midoriya in their little, you know, two versus one deal in one of the training grounds. Um, and so he realized that he used, he did use it at 100% reflexively because he didn't have much of a choice, but he also realizes that his legs aren't broke, you know, that he's he's not broken, That and not just that, but his previous injuries where you know he had like lacerations through his uniform and stuff that those were all totally healed up too and um then he's like as he's having this realization then he kind of doubles over in pain like he he starts complaining that his insides are beginning to hurt and this is when chisaki is kind of explaining i guess eerie's power and saying that like you know she has no idea how to control it she doesn't know how to turn it off and he says like yes she can rewind you but she's going to rewind you into unexistence you will no longer be around And so Deku comes up with the plan, like, okay, well, if she's going to be healing me that quickly, then I have to damage myself faster than she can heal me. 
So he just powers up all the way, like 100%. It's time to throw down. Oh, you know what I just realized? I was sitting here trying to figure out why it was that he was like, ah, I feel like I'm being ripped apart from the inside. But now that I'm looking at it in the manga, so he lands with Aerie, still probably channeling that 100%, but he lets go of her for a short time. And then that's when that power starts to get a hold of him. Yeah. Um, and then so she makes physical contact with him again. That makes way more sense because I was like, what is happening? Is he turning like are his intestines reverting to their toddler shapes and forms? Like uh, <laughs> when I was watching, I was like, what? What is happening here? But that makes way more sense now that I'm looking at it. Well, down below in the crater that has been left behind them, because we get like an aerial shot of it and it's like the entire street is gone. Like it's insane how much underground work was under this building. Uh, but Night Eye's down there, and he is with uh, Sue and Achako, and uh, also Hato, and he's telling Sue, like, hey, you need to go take out, you need to go check on Mirio, try and help him out. Ochako, Rakuyu, I need you guys to get me up to the surface. Uh, and he's telling them, like, I've seen this play out. Deku's going to die, and Chisaki's going to get away. You know, we got to get up there. And so he's fully expecting, I guess, to get up to the surface and just see like a, a dead Midoriya and Overhaul and Eerie just totally gone. And this is when Midoriya is able to just start whooping it. I mean, it is an incredibly cool fight scene here. Yeah, and the the cool visual that that is Chisaki's newest mutation. He's like he's massive now, um, which is I guess a part of uh, Katsukame's um, quirk being manifested. And Chisaki is like hanging out of what either looks like the open maw or like the severed neck stump of this giant animal thing. And it reminded me a lot of like the way that Gara looked when he was sticking out of the sand demon's head or something totally, out of yeah. maybe like attack on Titan where his like the, his torso from like the waist up is just like hanging out of the front. There's a very cool, very grotesque visual. Um, but it was, uh, it felt appropriate. Like it wasn't inappropriate. It wasn't like, Ugh, this took a weird turn or anything like that and became some sort of like body horror anime. Um, but it was, it was just very visceral and, and it evoked, a, you know, a, almost like a reflexive cringe when you saw this thing. And, and this was what Midori is going toe to toe with. And he has taken Mirio's cape and turned it into like a papoose and is a fixed airy onto his back so that, she can continue to rewind the damage that he he realizes that he has to like continually sustain major injuries in order to not be you know uh experience like a babality at Aerie's hands or to be reverted into nothing and so he channels 100 percent, and it's just like devastating his body but not at a speed that outpaces Aerie's power which is really that's and that's where they get that episode title 100 percent infinite and i thought they did a good job of kind of making that make sense in a way that appeased me. Not that they have to appease me in all things, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I liked it. I thought, I thought they did a good job with that. It made a lot more sense. Uh, we get some great visuals here where Deku's like falling from the sky and he's punching at Chisaki and he does like a thousand punch punch and they all happen like one right after another. I thought that was really cool. Uh, then he like grabs his hand and slams him into the ground. I mean, he's got some pretty cool finishing moves in this scene, I thought. Yep. The, the manga is way outdone by the anime um, really? in this particular fight. Yes. Um, the anime's visuals are amazing. I have just like a note in my, um, in a line in my notes that just says UI Deku, like ultra instinct Deku, because he's like, even with, especially with like, there's a scene where Aerie, Aerie's like strapped onto his back and her hair is kind of floating up too. So it looks like he's got this like super Saiyan hair going on and he's just got power 
flaring from the sides of his eyes. Like lightning coming out. Yeah. 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 It was a very super was crackling. Saiyan too. It was yeah. very, very cool. Um, yeah. So the the visuals in the anime, man, they are an eyeful. It's not that the manga is poorly done. Don't don't mishear me there. But the the anime just takes it to a whole other level with with color and movement and um man, it's it's so great. I will say this though, um, Chisaki does he kind of does some explaining in the midst of this, or possibly right before the the majority of the fight starts where he's talking about the experiments that he did and how he extracted Ares' powers. Um, and he accuses Deku of being small-minded and not, not thinking on the scale that he is and all this kind of stuff. I thought that they explained it better in the manga. Really? Um, yeah, so in the manga, he says this. I'm just going to read this because I, I didn't get this same, this same piece of information or angle from the anime as I did in the manga. So he says, in the end, we're not just talking about rewinding individual bodies. This is something far greater than that. She can affect the evolution of our very species, rewinding to the state before these mutations ever occurred. That's the sort of power that she possesses. She has the power to destroy the quirk factor and return humanity to normal. The foundation of the whole world is based on quirks. So the power to destroy that way of life, that is what Eri represents. And he talks about, in the anime, he talks about referring the species to its unmutated form. Yeah. Um, but that I thought the very manga different... described it a little better. I, I have to agree. That's a almost a very different kind of perception entirely. Because the perception I have of it is that he is going to use her basically to make money and make the Yakuza great again. Because his whole thing is like, hey, let's let's make this formula to get rid of quirks and give it to the villains and then sell an antidote to the heroes and we'll control the monopoly. And, and we're going to make Yakuza great. It's going to be awesome. Oh, that's definitely in the manga too. Yeah, and, but and in the manga, it sounds like he has somewhat ulterior alternative motives where he's like let's just take everyone back to ground zero so we're all even again yeah and that's i honestly don't know what the resolution between those two almost i mean they seem to compete competing motivations would be if if like you're trying to say if it is an ulterior motive that he actually just wants to remove quirks um and i think we had had that suspect uh that suspicion before yeah, I had um, kind of like thought that maybe he just wanted to get rid of all the quirks, but I, I don't know. After his money scheme plot, I was kind of like, yeah, it sounds like he just wants to be able to to use his quirks and Eerie's quirk to kind of get ahead of everybody else. Well, and I think for him, the more I think about this, the more I think that your your opinion that it's an ulterior motive actually has a, a decent bit of validity to it is because when the world was without quirks, Presumably, um, the the uh, Yakuza had a very different uh, amount or measure of power and control in society. But quirks entered into the equation and flipped that narrative in such a way that the the Yakuza are now, uh, you know, minor and uh, diminished in power and threat. And his whole thing uh, Chisaki's whole thing is trying to impress, you know, the 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 Yakuza boss who rescued him from the streets. And how how better to do that than to bring the Yakuza back into a place of prominence? However, at the same time, the other version of his motive, selling the cork eliminating drug to the bad guys and then selling the antidote to the good guys, also potentially has that ability, but it's only monetary. So that seems like a 
like a straw man or a facade. Well, yeah. And even when he brings up his plan to the boss, the boss is like, yeah, I don't like that. Like, have you lost your humanity? I mean, he's, he's going on about how like, this is a kid. You're going to, you're going to do that to my granddaughter. And so he tells mm-hmm. him like, you got to stop. And then we actually do have a flashback scene from before he is introduced to Erie, where I guess he has started some sort of drug racket or something. And the boss is like, Hey, I told you not to do that. Don't, don't do this. You know, that's not what we're into. And yeah, you, you always take things yeah, too far. You always take things says. way too far. And then the next scene I think we get with him in the past is him like messing up the boss. Well, we don't ever get his name, but the leader of the Yakuza, uh, I guess you could say he like quirked his brain or something. I mean, he's he says he puts them down and that he's going to put them back together once his plan is successful. So that way he can be proud of them, which is, I mean, that's pretty dark. Yeah, do you remember too in right at the beginning of the raid where two of those thugs were talking and one of them like hushed the other one up and I thought maybe that person was insinuating that Chisaki was the one who incapacitated the actual yeah. Yakuza boss? That's 100% confirmed yep, in this 100%. episode. Um which is pretty cool um that he has but he he's also at a place where he's like I'm just going to do my thing because I think I know better than you and then I'm going to, you know, revert you back to normal and you'll be proud of me. Like that's what he's hanging his whole hat on. And that makes the next episode even more emotionally devastating in my opinion, when you look at it in that particular way. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, But I do want to bring up something. So at the end of this episode, at the very top, uh, whenever Midoriya lands that last final blow and he like lands on the ground with Eerie on his back. And then you've got Chisaki who is like in this monstrous form is just sitting there. He's like out cold. Night Eye is like freaking yeah. out because he's like, well, this is not at all what I saw. This is not how it's supposed to be. You know, he's like, Midori is alive. Chisaki's the one that's lost. This is a completely different set of events. And I didn't expect to see this. Uh, so this is when I kind of want. So this is when I kind of wanted to talk to you about my two theories here. So we know that Night Eye has never been able to change the future before this event. And it makes me wonder if Eerie's quirk is actually time related. So his quirk was negated. Like she was able, like, like I know that she's healing Deku's body, but if he's, if she's actually like maybe reversing time on a specific instance of a specific person, you know what I mean? Yes. What's your other other theory theory is that it has nothing to do with Eerie's quirk. And this is actually part of Deku's hidden quirk that we've talked about before. You know, we've talked about how we don't Mm. think that he's quirkless, uh, that he may have something that just didn't manifest the same way that all the other quirks did. It'd be really interesting if his quirk is actually some sort of like, his quirk is destiny related. So he has the ability to make his own destiny. Like it's not pre-written or something like that. See, I got the impression, and this is kind of hinting at some of the discussion that'll take place at the end of next episode. I got the impression that Night Eyes came to almost like a realization or a belief that it was a power of will or a collective power of will that made the future um, uh, malleable. And so like he had a measure of it on his own because his motivation this whole time, and he explains this in the next episode too, is to try to stop this future where, where all might ends up dead. Um, But he was kind of pursuing that almost solo because he was, he wasn't like announcing it to the world. Um, he was pursuing this passion in his own way and by himself, but he sees unfold in this episode and next a bunch of people trying to change the future that he's now told a bunch of people, which changes that formula. I mean, like you said, he's, he's telling 
uh, Ryukyu and Ochako and Sue and all these other people are hearing that Midori is about to die and Chisaki gets away. And all of them are like, well, we're just not going to do nothing. We're going to do our best to prevent that. Um, And so the way that he talks about it at the end of next episode is he's like, you know, it's almost like within all these thoughts, there's this energy. And collectively, um, with all these people using that and not allowing for doubt, not allowing for the immutability of the future, that that was what swung uh, the the series of events. Um, I still think that there's room for Midoriya having a quirk, but it gets looser and looser the deeper we get into this show for me. Um, so I'm not sure how, how those will play out. Yeah, I guess... I. I mean, I know that in episode 77, that Night Eye pretty much explains what he thinks happened, but I just want Night Eye to be wrong. I think it's a <laughs> lot cooler if it's like low-key time travel or just like a hidden quirk. I think that's way cooler. <laughs> yeah, I mean... But I again, think the, I'm not writing the show, so there yeah. you go. <laughs> and I think philosophically, I, I like the way that it was explained because it's it's a question of predestination or free will. and you get a blend of both of those things in in his explanation, which I thought was kind of interesting how they talked about it both ways inside of the show instead of like up to this point in the show, he was all predestination. It was, this is how things are going to happen. It's never going to change. True. Uh, And now he's kind of giving the other side of that coin and maybe not declaring one over the other necessarily, but at least saying, well, there's, you know, this could be how things worked because it's, he doesn't, he's not approaching the the changing of the future scientifically here he's just kind of uh it's almost like i felt like he was guessing or, or trying to make sense of it um but you know that's that's my two cents no no i think you're i think you're spot on man i think it, there's a lot of room for interpretation on what happened here um i wish that we had a definite answer but at the same time it's always fun to sit around and talk about it right yeah before we move into episode 77, I just want to talk about two of my notes from the actual fight. Okay. One of, there's this really quick scene where, uh, I think it was after one of the just mega hits from Deku on uh, Chisaki, where they cut to uh, Toga and uh, Twice, and Toga just says, dang, Deku, and it made me think of, damn, Daniel. You yeah, that meme? yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, too. I have the same note. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, it and was then the a other fun thing I, there. The other thing I just had was, it's this was some of the dopest visuals um, of the show so far. Um, just with scale was cool. Like you're talking about the, even though they talk in the next episode about how contained everything was, like in the moment we were talking about this massive hole in the middle of the street and this giant freaking monster getting kicked by Ant-Man basically up in the sky, you know, this tiny thing next to him that's just totally whooping his butt. and. Um, I mean, it's crazy. It was very visually exciting. Um, yeah. It, so I feel like this, like you mentioned, the scale of this fight was insane. And I'm thinking back to when he like all for one fought one for all. And that the scale of that one was like quadruple this, but it didn't feel that way. I, I don't know why, but like this fight felt huge compared to that one. It did. Uh, I, I mean, it definitely was on a smaller scale. Um and I think a lot of people that I know, uh, at least, really talk about the all for one versus one for all um, slash all might fight as just epic, like legendary fight. And I haven't heard many people talk about this one that way. Um, I think I've heard more people talk uh, that way about 
this infinite 100 percent and and kind of how it worked and that kind of thing yeah but not about the fight itself if that makes sense yeah that no i get what you're saying but that can uh, we that can move us into episode 77 um it's called a bright future but this is again one of those times we had this recently too a couple episodes ago with the lemillion episode where they don't show the title of the episode until it is emotionally impacting this one so was really well done yeah you don't see it till the end again this is these two episodes are really well directed yeah like, they are yeah just well, i was gonna ask you in the storyboard order I'm like it all works for me do you know if they changed like animation companies or anything? Cause you've mentioned the animation a few times. I swear that these two episodes look totally different than the rest of the show has. Like the characters look more polished or something. It's the only way I know how to describe it. I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I'd have to look that up, but I have noticed that a lot of times in anime, when characters are in a battle or in a fight, they, they do take on a sharper, quality than when they're at rest or relaxing or just socializing and uh that could just be you know an animation trope or it could just be that i am uh you know applying um you know the the mood visually in a way that True. isn't actually there um yeah, that i, I just interpret that. it that way but i just feel like these two episodes the characters looked more shiny you know like just more polished or something it was just interesting note yeah well, we get we we start off episode seventy seven with kind of a recap or or a rewind, I guess, of the last like minute or so of the previous episode, um, which I I just have in my notes best recapitulation ever because I wanted to watch it again. Um, so we got to see uh, a little bit of that battle over again, but then we catch up with Chrono and Aizawa. Um, Chrono is kind of fascinated that there continues to be the sounds of combat above his head because he, in his mind, like. This thing was over in no time flat, you know, like it, it shouldn't have gone on this long. Yeah. And uh, so he's, and he's talking up Chisaki. He's got this crazy work ethic, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's like, well, if that's the case up there, then I don't have time to babysit, you know, this guy. So he goes to stab Aizawa. And then finally Chekhov's gun goes off. That's how, that's what I have in my notes. Do you remember <laughs> us talking about this? Yes. Yes. So he gets speared in his arm. And then you look up, and it's uh, Amajiki, and finally the swordfish that we talked about right before the whole operation takes place. Fat Gum is like, here, I brought you the swordfish to eat. And we were like, man, we can't wait to see that. And I even talked about Chekhov's gun and yep. how frustrated I was that we didn't see it during Amajiki's actual fight. But then it happens here. And it reminded me of, it was such a cool payoff. Like, it was a comedic beat, even though it wasn't a comedic moment, if that makes sense. No, it, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, the payoff was totally worth it for us. It Only because me, we brought it up, I feel like. If you hadn't mentioned it, I wouldn't have even thought twice about it. Yeah. It reminded me, have you seen the movie Cabin in the Woods? Oh, it's been a long time, but yeah, I've seen that. It reminds me of, there's a scene, at, like, really early on when they're, they're betting on what monster is going to be conjured up to threaten, you know, the five um, teens in the cabin in the woods or whatever. And somebody's, one of the two, like, guys is just like, you know, I bet, bet on the merman again. And, uh, and then it, they, they never talk about the merman ever again. But at the very end of the episode, the merman comes onto the scene and actually ends up killing the guy that bet on him. Yes, yes. And, yeah. I, and it, it's <laughs> such a fun payoff that I was, I was like, that's what this scene felt like with that swordfish. was just like, it's the merman all over again from Cabin <laughs> in the Woods. And I totally loved it. That's awesome. Um, but then uh, before we move back kind of into the, uh, the 
the goings on above ground. I thought it was really funny um, that Sun Eater is approached by Sue and he calls her Miss Ribbit. And I kind of like that. I don't think I caught that. So I'll, I will have to say I watched 76 in English, but Funimation did not have 77 translated yet. So I watched it in uh, its original format. Uh, so I had to do that thing where like you pause to take notes real quick and then you play, yeah. hit play again. <laughs> so yeah. I think I might have missed that one. That, that's funny, though. Yep, he, it's in the manga too. Miss Ribbit, what's the situation? And I was like, oh, Miss Ribbit, I like that. That's awesome. Uh, we do get an awesome flashback here with Chisaki, who is, I, I guess he got into a fight with some folks when he was a kid because they called the Yakuza villains. And like Pops or the boss man has to uh, kind of tell him like, hey, you know, you can't just like beat people up because they say we're villains. They're not technically wrong. Like, I don't think he said it just like that, but that's kind of what he was getting at, you know? Uh, and he's like, I appreciate you trying to protect the clan's honor, but don't do that again. Did you notice that he had a bandage on his cheek too? I that did. Scene? Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. So I guess he didn't have his quirk just quite yet. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure, but I was just like, oh, he's, he's damaged and hasn't fixed that yet. Right. Um, he snaps out of that flashback and flops one of those giant hands down on top of Aerie because he knows that if he comes into physical contact with her that he will be reversed. Um, and so uh, Katsume, is that what his name was? Katsukami. See, Katsukami. I, didn't, I didn't think he did that to try and get reversed as much as I thought it was like last ditch, I'm going to try and kill both of them kind of deal. No, I thought he was trying to save his own life. He was I, it makes, it makes sense, yeah, because he, he hits her and then like he gets... It's kind of a neat scene because Katsukami gets like expelled out of him, almost like yeah. he just like is thrown out of that guy's body. Yeah, and then uh, so he gets he's made whole again, uh, and but Ochako's like on it immediately. She oses oh, yeah. gunhead martial arts, grabs him and pins him to the ground. Judo flips him and, and pins him to the ground. I was a little nervous because she made skin skin contact and like his hands were exposed, um, but she seemed to have good wrist control. I mean, I don't know. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I've heard people say that before. Um, so he he's incapacitated, but that doesn't solve the airy uh, Deku problem. Like there's no longer uh, a need for him to for for Deku to be going, you know, Super Saiyan ham. But uh, Aries' power is continuing to increase, and it's almost like he he can no longer keep up with that rapid, you know, breaking down of his own body, even at a hundred percent. And so like things are, things aren't looking real good. Everybody's starting to worry about Deku. Yeah. But I kind of hate this scene because like Midoriya is really smart. He, he knows how his quirk works. He knows what's going on with Aria's quirk and he mentions that it's getting stronger and he can't keep up with it, but he's just standing there. Like go hit some rocks or run around <laughs> or something like expel some energy. Like don't just stand there and let her like undo you. You know what I mean? I I thought it was even more simple than that. I thought he could have just untied her from his back. <laughs> yeah, just um, let her go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop touching her. Um, yeah. Because it was my, it's my understanding that her quirk requires physical touch. Perhaps I'm wrong, but that was the impression that I got. That's what it seems like, because so far every time that it has worked, it looks like someone's been touching her when it happens. So yeah. that's my impression as well. Uh, but luckily for Deku, because he's not thinking and doesn't want to get up and do something about it, I guess, Sue has Aizawa with her, and she like lifts his head up like, hey, look at this, do something. Because <laughs> he looks like he's unconscious at first. He twitches his hand, I think, to get um, Ochako's or Sue's attention, and uh, that's when they direct his face over towards Aerie. And he apologizes to Midoriya for some reason when he goes to shut Aerie's quirk down. I'm not sure what that was about. Maybe yeah, it was I wasn't because sure either. He was going to be left in some state of brokenness when he did. I assumed it was just doesn't... 
because he wasn't there the moment that he could have been, I guess. Oh, okay. That makes some sense. Yeah. Like if he had stopped it a little earlier, because Midoriya was definitely experiencing pain in oh, this. Yeah, like sure. earlier on, he was talking about how he wasn't experiencing any pain, but now he is. Yeah. So it's that too makes much some for sense. Him, yeah. I also had a note here. I was wondering if it would have been possible for her to have rewound his body back to a time before he had the all for one quirk. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think so. So, if that's the case, could he have just eaten some more of All Might's hair? You Probably. know what I'm saying? Because we know the quirk is, like, transferred. Does All Might have enough to give to him for him to kind of start over? Or would the quirk just be dead? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. So, I don't know. That was just my thought, my thought of the moment. I have that in my notes. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that he, she could have rewound him to before the receipt of his of this quirk for yeah. sure i also wonder if he won't be able to control it as much like you had mentioned earlier in our episode that we've been on this journey with him where he's gone from like barely being able to contain it to five percent to eight percent do you think it's going to be back to like four percent for him like he'll he's going to go train and be like oh man i can only muster up this amount without breaking myself nah i don't think that uh because i think that he was I think that he was still kind of close to maybe keeping up with hurting okay. himself, yeah. you know, like, cause he wasn't like reverting visually. And I would, I don't know. Um, I didn't, I didn't get that sense. I never even had that thought until you'd mentioned it, but it's a fair thought. Yeah. I don't know. It was just kind of one of those interesting things where it's like, this could be a big reset button where we get 20 episodes of training. Who knows? You know, man, if they undid all, if they were just like, Next time he goes to power up to 8% and he just like blows his arms off, I would be like, all right, all right, come on, my hero, get it together. I would be so mad. That would be kind of funny, if only thing, just just to hear us react to it, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, but this, so after all of this goes down, the heroes and the police, uh, like, are going around arresting the people that are remaining that are part of the Chia Sakai, uh, and they're also rescuing hurt heroes. They've got Rocklock, they've got an answer, Night Eye. Uh, Mirio has finally been brought up from below the depths, so they're they're trying to take care of people. Uh, and Deku actually runs up to Night Eye, and he he tells him like, "Hey, you know, you twisted the future. Uh, this is not how things were supposed to go." And Deku tells Night Eye like, "Hey, you, you know, you really should see All Might because he's going to live. He promised." And and I think he's just trying to reassure him like, "The future you saw is not what's going to come to to pass." And I wonder too if based on how. Night Eyes comes around to trying to explain how things ended up the way that they did. You remember how earlier I said that he was like, well, maybe it's just the power of thought and the desire to change the future. Um, I wonder if All Might by himself was able to do that. Um, and, and he was able to avoid, you know, his predicted future. Um, I'm not sure. Like we said, we don't have like science backing any of this stuff up. No, we don't. And, and we don't know for certain what monster Sir Night Eyes saw All Might fighting. I mean, for all right. we know, it was the all for one fight. And he's already survived that, so it's possible that that's kind of the reason I lean more towards Deku having some sort of quirk that we just don't know about. If he was able to change the future then, you know, and he did it again with this situation, it just seems like maybe there's something more to it than, yeah, I, I don't know, just the future changing. Like, he is directly involved in all of these, and it, it could just be the hope that he inspires, you what? know? Did you ever read the, um, uh, the Wheel of Time series? No, I didn't. It's one I've wanted to get into, though. But I've heard that there's like 25 books, and they're all like 1,500 pages, so... Yeah, they're, man, they have a term, and I... Gosh, I cannot remember what the term is, because it's been a while since I've read it. But there's a term for people around whom history bends itself. Huh. Um, and it... Gosh, I want to say it's like a quilting term or, or something, but that's, that's kind of 
what you're trying to describe Deku as. Right, is that exactly. He's this anomaly where history kind of bends around him, um, which I, I like that idea too. And, and I obviously have some exposure to that concept because of the Wheel of Time series, although I cannot for the life of me remember that term right now. Well, and in um, reality, I think to some extent, Midoriya is uh, an enigma, right? Like he was never supposed to happen. That, that was never supposed to be a thing. All Might never should have handed down his power to some random teenager he picked up off the streets. And so for all we right, know, that right. was the moment that everything changed because up until that point, Night Eye had only seen this one future. And I mean, we know he picked Mirio. Did he pick Mirio because he saw Mirio with the powers? We don't know. He hasn't said that. But otherwise, why wouldn't he have been going after Midoriya to begin with? Which kind of furthers my thought of like, he is the linchpin in all of these events changing. Yeah, yeah. Did you see um, what time it was when the rescue was marked as complete? Yeah, 9.15 a.m. But I didn't remember when it started. Okay, so right before we started recording, I said I want to go grab one of the older manga volumes to confirm something. This was it. It was what time it started. So they met outside of the police station at 8 o'clock. The mission itself began at 8.30. So an hour and 15... No, 8.30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 45 minutes. Yeah, 45 minutes. Well, hour 15 from like them meeting up, right? Sure, um, sure, yeah. The beginning. But yeah, the actual like assault, 45 minutes. 45 minutes. It's, it's like five minutes on Namek, almost. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but we've also been very honest about how we understand that a lot of this stuff is taking place concurrently and we can only watch one thing at a time. Like that. Yeah. That is what my hero has going for it. That Namek does not. Yes, you're totally right. Uh, but it was. It is funny though because when I think about, like, I didn't know what how long the time was. I'm too lazy to go look that up. But having you said that, I don't feel like they were down there for 45 minutes. That's a long time to just be fighting. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, definitely. And just running. I don't know because most street fights. I think if, I, this is totally a number I'm pulling out of nowhere. But I feel like most street fights last less than a minute. Like that's a yeah. pretty average statistic or something. So. The fact that there are so many fights in this show that happen that clearly take longer than that blow my mind. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, and I, I actually really like, too, this, this scene that they have um, kind of now and a, uh, a little bit maybe later on, too, where... No, it's right here. It's, it's this resolution. I like that they show some of this, where they're evaluating structural damage and given a report of how many civilians and heroes were hurt. Um, they even yeah. show um, the some of the heroes rolling up on Rappa and Fatgum and uh, Kirishima and uh, the, the centipede wraps up Rappa and, uh, and you just see Rappa like thrashing about and yelling. Presumably uh-huh. I wish I could hear what he was saying because, <laughs> and what Fatgum would have been saying because Rappa and Fatgum were cool at this point. Um, right. Right. So, and plus I just want more Rappa because he's great. Um, I could see Fatgum like getting him a pardon, you know, like, hey, he'll come yeah. work with me on the drug squad or something, you know, so long as we fight every now and then. Yeah. Uh, or him and Kirishima can fight. Uh, part of that resolution is they send and I thought this this was a cool um, piece of the world as well, is they put Chisaki in an ambulance and they send him to a villain hospital. Yeah, I thought that was really cool because, I mean, the, it seems like they take care of the villains when they've been beat up like this. They're not just going to leave them to die. I mean, that would make them villains, too, I guess. Right. And we, I mean, we do the same thing if, if, you know, uh, uh, if a gunman, you know, perpetrates some crime and ends up hurt in the process, you know, the, uh, the Hippocratic Oath demands that doctors treat and, and try to, you know, uh, you know, re rehab and, and, you know, bring back to life and all this kind of stuff. But I, I just like the idea that they had not just that they took care of villains, but that they did it at a specified place, a villain hospital. I just well, I would like imagine that, that they would detail. need 
like special special training to take yeah. care of villains. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was cool. And uh, he didn't make it to the hospital though because no. some of the League of Villains intercept him. It's Shigaraki's there, compressed the real one I have in parentheses in my. Well, notes. I mean, for all we know, yeah. And Dobby, who, man, I'm glad to see Dobby. I missed him. He's super cool villain, and uh, he's back. We get to see him shoot some blue fire at a police car and get into a fight with uh, a Sandman equivalent. This guy named Snatch, which was like a super weird name. Given yeah, I power. thought that was a weird name, too, but I really, really liked Sandman. I mean, this is a cool character. Actually, this has probably been my favorite scene in the last four or five episodes. Yeah, this scene is really well done. I mean, I don't particularly care for the Sandman thing, and I hope that you don't care a whole bunch about him because he's 100% dead. You're never going to see Snatch oh, again. Oh, yeah. No, no. I was really confused, though, because there was a moment where he, like, stops Shigaraki because Shigaraki is on this on this bus, too, trying to stop overhauls like ambulance, and he goes to attack the Snatch hero, and when he does, he, like, gets trapped in the sand, and the guy's like, hey, you know, you can't, you can't disintegrate can't sand. sand. Yeah. yeah, which I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool, I guess. Uh, and, but then it turns out that uh, Shigaraki is just the distraction. And this is when they use one of Compress's little marbles, and it's got like a, a big giant stone. So it pops up under the car, and then when it you know comes back into its regular size, it just blows the car out of existence pretty much, like throws it up into the air. Shigaraki gets away, and then Dobby starts blasting the Sand Hero. But then for some reason, Compress compresses Snatch, and I don't, I don't know why. I mean... I don't know why either, but when he did, they had this discussion about how uh, Compress is like, man, it's a shame that sand doesn't burn. And Dobby's like, well, it looked like only his top half could be turned into sand, so he's 100% dead inside your marble. Because yeah. the marble apparently like wrapped up Dobby's fire plus Snatch, is, is that the way what that happened? I read that. Okay, because he says that, like, yeah, you know, it looks like he can only turn his upper body into sand, so he's probably dead. And I was like, well, why is he probably dead? It looked like he got all of them. I, I don't like I don't either that or maybe he cut him in half. Like, did sand fall? No, I think I think Compress's ball caught Snatch plus Dobby's fire. And that's why he also made the comment that it was too hot to pick up. Oh, OK. That makes sense. Yeah, because I remember him saying something about like, oh, man, that's hot. But I thought he was just talking about the ground around him or something. No, I think I, I could be wrong, but I, my, the impression I got was Dobby's fire is in that ball with Saiyan Man. Man, and that sucks. That's the end of Snatch. I, that's why I was <laughs> like, I hope you didn't get too attached to him because he got his 45 seconds of fame and he's yeah. dead. Like, I mean, I, I figured he was dead, but like, man, what a way to go out, you know? And that's so, after he like saves a police officer and everything. Like, right, he's doing right. some good deeds here, you know? And he's got really cool mustache. He does have an insane mustache. He almost just looks like a Pokemon. Like, he doesn't look like a human. <laughs> he does a, a bit. <laughs> His mustache looks and very Pokemon like. He's in a little ball, so it's, he is a Pokemon. Yeah. And then, uh, so Shigaraki rolls up on Chisaki, who's like super strapped down, and he has his hands. And it reminds me in, in a lot of the X Men comics how they detain certain mutant. like mutant hands. Yeah. Um, if their power is in their hands or if they are particularly strong, they bind them in these like giant, weird, mechanical looking manacle things. It was very like reminiscent of a lot of X Men comics where they're transporting mutant, you know, detainees or something. Yeah. And Shisaki just looks. I have that he looks shook, like he's oh, I think he's very terrified. dead in like he's he's not emotive. He's just like shocked, and he just walk. Uh, when Shigaraki comes up, he just says, "You come to kill me," and Shigaraki is like, "Nah, man, I thought about what you'd hate even more than that." And so Compress comes over and drops a ball on Chisaki's left arm, 
Presumably that, for himself, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, at least in revenge, because it was his left arm that Chisaki took. I was hoping that he'd reattach it somehow. Well, he's got a mechanical one. He yeah, looks but, like a old boy from a, a Cowboy Bebop right yeah, now. Yeah, no, he totally does. Yeah. But uh, there's got to be a quirk out there for someone. Like, there's got to be a, a quirk doctor for villains. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's going to take that arm. At least, I hope. <laughs> he's going to take that arm, and he's going to have a new one next episode. That would be weird. Would he, would he then have Chisaki's uh, so. quirk inside of that arm? How great would it be to be able to compress people and also restore and, like, be destructive with the other arm? Yeah, that it, would it'd be awesome. That would be crazy. But then Chisaki, or Shigaraki leans down and starts to disintegrate uh, Chisaki's other arm at the wrist and he's like well we can't have that because if I don't cut your arm off right now then it, you're, you'll just decay your whole body will decay yeah. so he takes a sharp knife and cuts off um, Chisaki's other arm So he, and then he says now you're a powerless helpless quirkless man That's and it, I was just like dang yeah. this, and this dude is a straight up villain yeah it was brutal and he can't bring back the boss now Nope, and he's, I mean, he's just mocking. He's got his, his, he doesn't have the hand on his face. He's staring Chisaki straight in the, straight into his own eyes, and he's like, all that hard work you put in, that's mine now. Your life's going to be a real nail biter now, except that you don't have any nails left to bite. Yeah. Is, and, is what he says in the manga. And he turns um, around and says, like, it's my turn now. Yes, it's our turn. That's very freaky. cool. I also have notice- in here, too, that now, so it, it, not only has his whole plan gone to crap, right? Um, but he also can't restore his father figure. He right. can't do it anymore. And I was yeah. like, dang. So there was like layers to all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, and Shigaraki now has the bullets because that's the last thing he finally steals yep. is like these bullets that are going to be able to just decimate anyone with a quirk. Um, did you notice that whenever his hand got cut off that Chisaki started getting those like bumps again all over yeah, his I face? Did. It makes me wonder if maybe he had some kind of like disease or cancer or something that he was constantly curing. Hmm. Like Deadpool? Yeah, because I mean, the, we saw the, a handful of times where he would get those like spots on his face. Yeah. And I can't remember what the correlation was, like if he was using his quirk when they showed up or what, but he didn't have them. Then his quirk was essentially removed and he was no longer able to maybe heal whatever it was. And they started coming back like all over his body, it looked like. Yeah. I don't know. It just seemed like a weird, subtle thing that they didn't really explain. Yeah. Maybe they're just hives. Like some people get hives when they're in a particularly stressful situation, but who knows? I guess they have a really cool scene though, where like the league of villains are walking away and they're silhouetted by the, the fire behind them. And you just hear Chisaki screaming. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that is such a good scene. The way that they framed that was dark. But then, then it gets really weird because there's, uh, this is the middle of the episode and they have one of those splash pages and it is Mirio's and it's like, oh, his quirk is this. And I was like, too soon, <laughs> too soon, way too soon, guys. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't even really notice that, to be honest with yeah. you. <laughs> I, I was like, man, who who signed off on that? Um, but we, we catch up with everybody. They're in the hospital and um, uh, Aizawa ends up coming in to Deku, who's been looked over, and his doctor's just like, ah, you're pretty much fine. Um, and Aizawa is kind of catching Deku up on everybody else. And Kirishima's just bruised and lacerated, but he'll be fine. He does look like a pinata. Um, yeah, they <laughs> or got a him mummy. Like all wrapped up, yeah. Yeah. I'm Aizawa a only had 10 stitches, I think. Yeah. And then um, in the anime, it said that Amajiki cracked a bone in his face. Um, in the manga, it just said that he, uh, oh man, what did, it, what did they say? It wasn't that. It wasn't a crack in his face. It was something else. Um, but it, was, it sounded less 
severe. He got his face split open is what it says. Um, but then he's, Midoriya's like, well, what about, uh, you know, what about uh, Airy? And, oh, they, they check in on Fat Gum. He's got a few broken bones. Rocklock yeah. stabbing, didn't hit any, uh, any major organs, so and he'll be fine. And his family's there, so he's, yeah. he's going to be totally okay. Uh, yeah, um, take that or leave it, however you want it. Um, anyway, <laughs> so as I was explaining that, like, Aerie is on quarantine, and until they can figure out how best to train her to control her quirk, it's for her best, it's in everybody's best interest that she kind of be beyond contact for right now. And um, so uh, then they, he's escorting Deku this whole time towards Night Eye's room because. Night Eye's uh, prognosis is not good. In fact, like they walk into the room and All Might's there. Everybody from the Night Eye's agency is there, uh, and the doctor is just like, we don't expect him to see the morning. Like that's it's it's grim and it's delivered like right when he walks into the door. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm kind of pissed about this too because we get this really sad scene where like everyone's gathered around him and Midoriya's like, hey, you know, like we're changing the future, don't die, and he's kind of going over everything with Midoriya, like, explaining that he thinks the future's been changed because of all the energy, like like Adkins had said earlier in the episode. And then Mirio shows up, and he's, like, begging this guy to live, you know, and you can see poor Night-Eye just feels awful that Mirio's lost his quirk, and then he uses his uh, foresight one more time on Mirio, yeah. and he's like, hey, you're gonna become a finer hero than anybody else, and you've gotta smile because a society without cheer and humor uh, will not have a bright future. And then he he passes away with this big smile on, and the episode cuts, you know? And I'm like, well, they could have just gone and grabbed Eerie, who, you know, they saved, and used her power on him to rewind uh. him, and then Aizawa could have stopped her. Like, we have that whole lead-up of Aizawa saying she's too dangerous, blah, 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 and then they let this poor guy die while they could have saved him. And I just, like, I even, I feel like even from Eerie's perspective, like, yeah, she doesn't know how to control her power, but if they had asked her, like, hey, can can you maybe use your power to save this guy and then we'll cut it off real quick, she would be like, absolutely, you guys saved me. Like, the last thing she wants is another person dead because of her. Right, right. So if she could have saved it, I don't know. I just, I feel like they should have at least given her the choice. So I had, I had a, a another problem with the end of this episode that doesn't mirror your own, but I'm, I want to talk about yours first. Like, Part of what I worry, uh, I worried about, like as I started to project. All right, what is Aries' role? Do they train her? Does she become a hero? And if so, how? What's what is the limit to what she can and can't do? Because that limit becomes important, or it's just it's just like sensu beans and Dragon Balls, right? Where death doesn't matter anymore. And well, I, I like there to be gravitas. I do too. And honestly, I kind of had like a running joke in my head throughout the end of this episode where I was like, okay, so now they're going to go back to Digger or the the digging guy and they're going to build a backpack for Eerie to sit in so she can feel Deku (laughs) all the time, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like one of the, well, and Aizawa straight up told Deku's like, yeah, we can't rely on her. And I think that that was his way of saying, yeah, don't get the, don't get that idea. But now I can't help but picture her in one of those backpacks that are made for cats with the little bubble window. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Yeah. And that's just a <laughs> It'd be like like Master <laughs> Blaster funny. from uh, Mad Max. Yeah. Now, my problem with the end of this episode was, I, I, like I said earlier, they dropped the title here, which I thought was great. Oh, yeah, that was. It was uh, really emotional tug when they dropped that title. But I wish that they had dropped the title and just, just like cut to black and maybe had some somber credits. But instead it was like, like super high <laughs> It was just high the normal energy. credits, yeah. Yeah, I was just like, 
man, I really wish there were no after credit scenes on this, that it was just bright future title, black, quiet credits. Like a Sopranos kind of like just cut to black sort of deal. Yeah, I was like, man, this is if there was a time to do something different with the credits, that was it. But instead, it's like bright future. And then it's like, no, 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 no. And I was just like, oh, man, failed opportunity. I really didn't like that. Yeah, no, I could see that. I could see that. I just I hate that it felt so forced because you you've literally just spent the last like, I don't know what, 10 episodes saving this kid that can literally fix the problem that everyone's having right now. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it just felt kind of weird. I wonder um, if they are going to train her, and if so, to what capacity? Because if the if the wiki that we look at sometimes is any indication, she's still listed as a civilian and not as a hero or a class or a st- you know member of a class or a student or anything. Um, I don't know that that's indicative of anything, but she's like in the same ranks as like Suyu's parents and Midori's mom, and huh. so um, I don't I don't think that's necessarily indicative. Um, but I'll be interested to see what they do with her going forward because uh, there's a lot of obvious potential for her, and she would have a huge impact on the narrative. Yeah, she really um, would. I mean, I had even messaged you before we started recording, and I was like, huh, I wonder if they're going to use Eerie's power to you know, get Mirio's back, because she could just rewind yeah. him to before he lost it, right? So, yep. Well, I don't know. They... It's, I, I don't like the idea of her being a staple, and if, if the show is anything the way it has been, like if it's foretelling of any kind, they won't bring her back until they need her. Like mm-hmm. the only reason they went after her was because they were all worried about losing their quirks. Like, don't get me wrong. They wanted to save a little girl, but there are plenty, but there are plenty of little girls in this world that have been kidnapped or whatever. And they're not going after them the same way they went after her. Right. So you can only assume, like, I think it was one of the villains that said that earlier the only reason they're coming after her is because they're in danger. The moment right. that she can serve a purpose, I feel they will use her again. And I really believe that more than likely, they're going to keep her in some sort of cell until they need to use her. Yeah, and I worried about that too. Like, I wonder how they're going to approach her, train her, understand her, study her without giving her flashbacks to captivity and... um you know, that, that in and of itself is going to have, they're going to have to tread very carefully around all of that with, uh, you know, her trauma. And, uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with that too. But I also really appreciate that these two episodes, this is the end of an arc um, and it's an end of an episode for us. It feels like a great place to, to stop. And, uh, we don't have too many clues about, you know, what's going to happen in the very next episode. Uh, if you watch the, the post credit scenes, they are back at school, so we see some familiar faces. Um, and then Midoriya is talking about how all of this was really just a calm before the storm. I think we see a shot of, like, Gran Torino uh, riding around with the detective, uh, Sukoichi, uh, or Sukochi, whatever Sukoichi, his name yeah, is. yeah, yeah. Um, so who knows? You know, I'm sure they're still doing League of Villains stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. Um, in a couple weeks. Yeah, we will. I gotta say, I'm kind of, I kind of hope that they don't just leave Eerie's storyline behind. Like, I think that would be kind of weird of of Deku specifically to like save this girl and then in the very next episode just be like, all right, you're in good hands, bye. Right. <laughs> you right, know, like yeah. it would just feel weird. Uh, but I'm interested in seeing where they go with this. I I hope that we get some downtime. I want to see what's going on with the rest of the heroes, man. Like, I missed a lot of the other characters. Uh, we Me haven't too. seen a lot of them. I mean, we've really just been focused on like Mirio and. Deku these last couple episodes so I'm, I can't wait to see what Bakugo and Todoroki's been up to like what's going on what has Mineta been up to you know we, I know that we get to see him in the next episode I don't want to know what Mineta's been up to no not any interest at all I don't I mean I have some 
fairly well-educated guesses about what Manette has been up to, and I really don't care to have that those blanks filled in. That's fair. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Um, but I am, I do, I bring me some Jiro. In fact, we had said at the end of last episode that that is who we were going to cast next at the end of this episode. You you had kind of gotten ahead of me uh, with Mirio last episode. You said that a young Chris Evans would be your Mirio. Yeah. I had a hard time thinking about who would play him because uh, I think you and I, we were talking about this before we recorded, we're kind of playing by two different sets of rules for our casting, which is totally fun. Um, you know, you're like anybody at any time, their best era, you know, it could be 20, 30 years old or, you know, years ago. Um, I'm trying to cast the movies like they're going to take place tomorrow. And Mirio was really hard. Um, the only person I could come up with that I thought might be able to do it, maybe. Uh, and I've only seen him in a few things, but he is kind of maybe prominent right now. His name is Nicholas Holt. Do you know who Nicholas Holt is? Not off the top of my head. Uh, let me go grab the Google real quick. So H-O-U-L-T. He's the guy that plays Beast in the newer X-Men movies. Um, oh, he yeah. Was in, I like him. He was in Mad Max. Yeah, he's a really um, good actor. Yeah, I mean, he really has. He's been a very solid actor for quite a while, and I think that he's got a good shot. Like, if I were casting it tomorrow, okay. I would at least want him to come and, and read. I can see that. Um, it's the eyes. It's like the bright see. blue eyes, isn't it? Yeah, and he's not, like, he's not massive. Um, so, you know, maybe he would have to put on some weight, maybe. But I think he's got, he's got some chops. I, I would be curious to see him try, at least. He's I got think potential. that that's the best I could do for Mirio. I, I mean, also, we definitely have to go blonde, too. I also had no idea that that was the guy from Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was his name? Nux Lux? Nux. Yeah, Nux, Nux. N-U-X. Yeah. No idea. That's neat. Uh, I can yeah. definitely see that. Kudos on that one. That's a good one. All right. So, Jiro. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I want you to go first, because I'm just curious, because Jiro's your character. So, I, I, yes. I want to know what you've been thinking. I only have one submission for Jiro. Okay. And... Uh, I'm like this. Like once I get my mind on somebody, I'm like, all right, that's my person. I'm like this with restaurants too, where I go in, if I have something that I'm like, I'm like, this is my dish. You know, this is the only <laughs> thing I'm going to eat here. Um, so I've, I've approached this similarly. And I think the person I think would play a killer Jiro, like perfect Jiro is Zendaya. Zendaya? Yeah, the girl okay. that plays Mary Jane in uh, the newest Spider-Man movies. Oh, she can do okay. that kind of relaxed, dissociated, Yeah, um, but she's capable physically. Um, I think she would be an amazing Jiro. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I, can, I can totally go with that one. Uh, so mine is, once again, these characters, I guess, are a little bit older. And it's one of those things where, like, you watch this show and sometimes you forget that they're, like, 15 and 16, you know? Right. right. I have that issue a lot. So, like, in my case, my first thought was Aubrey Plaza. I could see her doing uh, that kind yeah. of, like, dry sarcasm, you know? Yeah. Uh, but for an actress that maybe isn't as well-known, I wanted to kind of throw one out that I thought looked more the part. Uh, her name is... Uh, Florence Favre is, I guess, how you would pronounce it. Uh, I just sent you a picture of her in Skype, but she plays Julie Mao in The Expanse. Okay. Okay. So you'll have to check out that picture. Uh, I think yeah. I think she could play an awesome Jiro. Aubrey Plaza is really good casting for um, that demeanor. Yeah. Uh, and well, I think Zendaya does that really well in the Spider-Man movies, too. I think so, too. So, like, if we're going by your rules where we're casting for age, I think that's perfect. I, I really, really like that casting. Yeah. It's been in my brain. 
So uh, that's that's she's my Jiro. Keanu Reeves is my Izawa. Uh, obviously, The Rock. I mean, how can you not have The Rock as All Might? Yeah. And then my Mirio is flexible. Like I, I don't really watch a ton of movies that have like teen actors in them anymore. So I don't know who else could really do that well. But um, he was one that came to mind. It's like eh, I would at least be. I would like to see him try. Like yeah, I said, for sure. So next week, who do you want to do? I was thinking uh, maybe let's pick one of the kids or one of the adults. Uh, I'd be down for doing Fat Gum and Bakugo. All right, I'm down for that. Okay, cool, cool. So next week, guys, Fat Gum, Bakugo, let us know who you're thinking about casting. So, okay, how are we doing Fat Gum real fast? Are we going to do Fat Fat Gum and then Skinny Fat Gum? Ooh, that's a good question. We, or are we just having one that is just like, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Like, uh, the Hulk. Um, Mark like, Ruffalo, where he does both, kind of. Let's do one where he does both, because I, I, <laughs> it may be kind of mean to say this, but the one I'm thinking of could probably do both, depending on what era of time you picked him from. Okay, that's an interesting <laughs> clue to who you're thinking about. Yeah, so. All right, Fat Gum and Bakugo. My Bakugo, Bakugo is done. Like, my I'm Bakugo's ready for Bakugo right my, now. I am too, so kind of like, you just want to do Bakugo? No, 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 no. no? We'll, we'll save it. We're, that's okay. a good teaser for next week. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I wonder if we're thinking of the same guy again. The fact that we picked The Rock together on the first one blew my mind. There's no way we're thinking about same. There's no way we're thinking about same guy for Bakugo. If we not. If we land on the same guy for him, I'm going to be shocked because I, I don't have somebody that's like wildly popular in mind for him so Me either we'll see. so we'll see yeah huh okay let's <laughs> right. let's find out in two all weeks. right we'll, we'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks <laughs> see you guys The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpationet or at almightypod. We'd love the chance to talk with you. (laughs) 